Let me ask y'all this, man. How um how comfortable y'all or have y'all been building relationships with other men? Hmm. I mean, for me, it's been. All right, I, oh, I, go, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Okay, I was gonna say for me, historically, I didn't really spend a lot of time on it. Didn't think it. I, I always had this mindset of like. It's, it'll happen organically. I don't need to spend the time. It'll just happen organically. Um, and then I kind of looked up one day and I'm like, man, I know a lot of people, but there's no one close. Like, I don't have anyone that's that, like, like tight, tight. Um, I, I mean, I have some, but it's not not the where, not where I wanted it. And that's kind of where I was getting at earlier in the conversation and saying I had to be more intentional about just opening myself up to the possibility of, hey, my, I might hit it off with this dude. Let me actually invest the time to get to know him. You know, and I, 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 once I would start to do that, I'm realizing, oh, shit, we all feel the same way. Like a little bit of anxiety about expanding the relationship, relationships. But once you spend the time to do it and you hit it with the right people, it's been rewarding. But it is, I have anxiety about it. I'll be straight up with that. You know, it's, right. it's not the easiest thing in the world to just go out and, and, and meet dudes. Like, you know, it's just, I'm just not doing it like that. It's weird. Right. It's weird. Right. weird. It has, what? It, even to this day, like it still happens organically. Right. Like I don't, I didn't plan to meet you guys. It, that was organic. It's just, right. I made sure I was open to the idea of really meeting people and talking and getting to know you guys. But it wasn't right. like, I didn't show up there to me. No, it was a controlled. It was a controlled yeah. Uh, yeah. situation right there. You know, that's definitely. What about you, Ev? I feel the same way. But what about you, Ev? Uh, I think for me, you know, I've, I've moved around for a long time. Like, I don't need no new friends. <laughs> and um, right, whole new yeah, friends, I don't new friends. But what I think mm-hmm. what has happened for me as time goes on, it's actually a similar with uh, Jeff. You know, things just. I open myself up when things are happening organically, when there is a vibe there, I don't just kind of leave it where it is and be like, all right, that's, that's, that's just that one moment. I'm not going to actually put any effort into like maintaining this relationship. I don't move like that. Now I'm like, okay, there's, there's a, if I vibe with a brother, then it's like, okay, we have a lot in common. We um, share a lot of this, uh, very similar experiences. And there's a lot that we can learn and and from each other. So because of that, I'm more I'm more so now like, yo, let's you know let's make sure we keep in touch. But I don't. But at the same point in time, when I vibe with a with a person, it doesn't happen. It's a very like once in a blue moon kind of thing. It's not like a natural thing like me and the brother talking. All of a sudden we vibe it like nah. It has to be. It just it just happens in a once in a blue moon. So which made kind of our um our connection so to me i've still kind of like think back on it and and relishing it a little bit like wow i i vibe with every brother in the room individually which was to me i, I still i still tell marjani it's like yo that is that's not normal that's not a normal occurrence in that way especially for me because you know i can we, i can chill with a brother we can be cool and we can be cordial but and it, and that's just be it. Now, if we have if there's like I said, if there's a vibration, then it's like there's a connection, and it's something that I really pay attention to because it doesn't happen that often. So you know, 
my thing nowadays is if that comes up, I really um, strive to maintain and to work on those relationships. And sometimes working just like just checking in, like, yo, checking in. I ain't talked to you in a couple of days. How's everything? You good? What's good with you? How's the family? Da 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 da. Are you? And also, you know, because I feel like I, maybe some brothers feel the same way I feel. Sometimes you need you need somebody, another brother to kind of like, especially in marriage and in husbandhood and in fatherhood, you may need someone else to kind of build with. See, for me, I mean, I, where I'm at in California, I'm a little bit of a lone wolf. I don't have too many friends here. Um, and we move around a lot. So most of the cats that I'm like tight with are back home in Philly. Um, or, you know, there's a, there's some that, that are in New York. But again, that's on the opposite coast. So, um, you know, when I have those relationships with those brothers, I think it's important for us to or important for me to check in with them. To say like yo especially if we vibing like yo man what's what's really good like i don't need to get on to your personal business i'm not trying to do that but at the same point in time i know that we all need each other's support so i'll move like that more often but again to your question it doesn't happen that often and i'm still i'm still a very like it has to be organic i if i feel myself making something happen it's not going to be a good relationship yeah 100 100 man i i mean i feel like um Man, I was in my late 30s and I just got into a situation where, you know, I was not feeling good about anything and I couldn't really figure it out at home with my wife. And I mean, I ended up falling into a, a men's Bible study. Right. And um, man, we was just it was just different, man. Like the conversations I had now I've been to Bible study before, but I've never been to a, you know, we breaking off in factions of small groups with all these men and just a bunch of men in there we just talking and it was like man i never felt anything like this and um that was kind of like the the peak of it i got a peak in it you know like oh wow so you kind of do need to fellowship with other men sometimes i you know but prior to that i was avoiding that at all costs like i was not interested you know and then like y'all talking about man that whole you know sitting there and 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 congregating with y'all over that time that was like, man, this would be nice if I, we could do this on a regular. You know, it almost made me feel in a way, almost sad in a way, because I'm like, man, like, man, I wish I could do this all the time, man. You know, just more frequently just get with these brothers and, mm. and you know, chill like this. You know what I mean? Like, it was just, it was unbelievable how easily we fell into clicking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Listen, um... I wanted to ask y'all something I've been thinking about lately. You know how men are, for the most part, I don't want to speak generally for everybody, but conditioned to be problem solvers. Reminds me of the, the movie John Q. I don't know if y'all seen that Denzel movie with John mm -hmm. Q. When his son is sick in the hospital yeah. and his wife is just like, do something, <laughs> you know? And then he goes to, you know, holds up the whole hospital emergency room. It's like, we just conditioned to to figure it out, man. And I wonder yeah. um, how that makes y'all feel. That is that pressure or is that, you know? You know, it, 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 interesting question, man. I, I embrace it. Yeah. And I would say I even admire it about myself because any, like, I am a problem solver, you know, whether it's work stuff, home stuff, family, whatever. 
Um, and generally, I don't feel pressured with that. However, there are some downsides to it that I've, that I've realized recently. One of them is sometimes the problem is not to be solved. So, you know, a lot of times it could be a conversation between Jennifer and I where she might tell me something that's, that's going wrong or something she needs help with, or she's just venting, you know, or seeking. Even, even if she's seeking advice, I'm conditioned. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. I attack it as, all right, well, let's break it down. Let's solve the problem. You know, and the way that translates is that I'm cold, that I'm not really absorbing the real issue and, and realizing this is more of an emotional issue or more of a something that, whether it's my kids, my wife, you just need support. You just need to, to air it out. You don't need me to jump in and start telling you how to fix it. And I've had to learn more recently just, hey, man, there's some things you can't control. Like, there's some things you can't fix. Um, and, it, and it happened to me. The, the big wake-up call was with, was with my son um, and realizing he was going through something and real, thinking of it as, I need to fix this. I need to solve it for him. I had to realize, you know what? I just need to support him and step back and let it, let it play out. Support and step back and... Sometimes dad, husband, Jeff can't fix it. I just got to mm. be here for you through it. Um, so it's been a, a real awakening for me. I would say in the last, I would say six months or so of just realizing while I pride myself on being able to solve a lot of problems, problem solving is not always the answer. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is a great title for this podcast because um I feel like even in these answers, you have to be uh, somewhat vulnerable to really like, to really like give you a direct answer. I mean, to, to your to your question, how does it make me feel? You know, it's kind of like Jeff, you do it without thinking about it because you've been doing it for so long. So it's kind of mm -hmm. second nature until it meets up against, um, I'll just use the term opposition. And I'll, I'll say opposition, for lack of better words, but in a scenario, whereas, you know, you're speaking like for me, if I'm speaking with Marjani, it's like, she may just need to vent. And I'm in, I'm always in problem solve mode. And um, what happens is it makes it difficult for the, for, for you to, for me to give the other person that space to really vent out the thing, because I'm always trying to like, well, let me just attack it. And let me just solve this issue real fast. Also too, when you're doing a lot, it becomes it becomes heavy on the mind. You know, when you're constantly solving one problem, then it's another situation you got to solve that. And there's another one you got to solve that. And it's another one you got to solve that. It's it becomes um, to be a load, and at times that load gets to be a lot. But even in that, you don't think about the source of the issue. The source of the issue is because you're trying to solve all these problems. Not because, you know, like you're creating this, you're, you're actually, I'm creating it, you know, because I'm trying to, to solve it because I feel like, well, you know, you feel like that's, isn't that my role? Isn't that what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be the problem solver. Like, there's not like, what people, you know, my son comes to me, wife comes to me, you know, family and friends come to me. So like, isn't that why I'm here? Because you feel as though to be, well, for me, I feel as though to be a participant in any community um, I have to be willing to, you know, if you got an issue, then we got an issue. You know what I mean? Uh, to, to the 
down to the T. Like, you got an issue? Okay, we got an issue. How are we going to resolve this issue? Um, but it's uh, it, 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 at times it can be a heavy load, man. And it, and it weighs, for me, it weighs on me at times. It gets a little, it gets a little thick because then you have situations where you can't resolve. And I think, I don't know what's mm-hmm. worse, having a, a, a situation that there's nothing you can do. Like, for instance, my mom is going through some stuff right now in Philly. And there's nothing I can do from 3,000 miles away that can really assist her in a way that she needs that assistance. Now, I have I have siblings there. And I know she's, take, she's being taken care of. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm all the way over here. And I think, you know, to add to that, um, some of that for me is a little bit of trauma because when my father passed, I was all the way over here. And it was not, and he passed suddenly. So it was like there was nothing I could do. And to, you know, so you have that thing on your mind, like, wow, I got this problem and I, I truly can't fix it. There's truly nothing I could do. Even with, even with Marjani's health situation, it's, it's a trip, man. We were in, um, we were in New York and she was having a trigger moment and I had to sit and watch my wife go through this like very painful experience. And I couldn't even touch her because for me to even touch her is going to make the pain worse. So you sitting there and you feel, you know, you feel helpless. And I don't know what's worse uh, for me. I don't know if it's if it's if it's more difficult to have too many problems that need solving, or to have that one problem that there's nothing you can do about it. Hmm. Man, I I asked that. Man, you went right down kind of the road I wanted to go down because, you know, people communicate for like two reasons basically they either want to vent or they want to solve an issue you know and for when i say men are conditioned to be problem solvers when you fall short of solving them problems you it kind of taps into your self-worth or even your uh manhood you know what i mean and i don't always know if that's fair on on men all the time because it's like we've been like you said you're from from the beginning of our lives, that's what we've been kind of conditioned into our head. Solve the problem, solve the problem, solve the problem. And, um, you know, I, I think about, you know, many a times, you know, when, like if I, for instance, at one point in my life, right before Donovan was born, I was laid off and I wasn't able to provide for the family. So that really triggered or set me into a depression, even though, you know, we didn't miss any meals. My wife was capable at the time. And, you know, I mean, we were fine, but my inability to solve the problem, man, it, it basically, like I said, made me question my self-worth. And I wonder how often that conditioning is, is, uh, basically put a lot of brothers in bad mental spaces. That's kind of why I asked the question. Stuff like that. I wonder um that you just like you just made me wonder when you talk about actively doing work, um, have any of you brothers had any experience with counseling or therapy? You know, me, obviously I am a therapist, but prior to becoming a therapist, you know, I was I spent some time in therapy and uh, it's really been, um, it's been, you know, a game changer for me as far as the way I 
communicate with any and everybody. So I just wonder if you guys had any experiences with uh, with counseling at all. Well, uh, I, I have. Um, Ted, you and I talk at <laughs> the same time every, every go. Um, <laughs> no, I, I have, and I would credit kind of, this actually takes me back to the earlier question you asked about when, like, when did you learn to be vulnerable and that it was okay and like you could be that. And it was, I would say for me, the first time I, my first experience with therapy was I'd already graduated from college. So I'm, I'm probably 22, 23 and working on wall street and realizing some of it, me noticing some of it, my wife noticing like, man, I'm like, there's certain things I'm just not happy about. There's certain things, there's certain issues I have and I'm not really sure what's going on with it. I'm not communicating well. She would, she encouraged me to go to therapy and I, I was like, all right, whatever, I'll do it. Um, and man, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm such a big supporter of it, having gone through and come out, gotten to the other side of it, because I learned things about myself that I just didn't realize were things in me. So I would talk about something from childhood or something in my relationship with my parents or ways I've learned from them. And I'm like talking about it like it's normal. And the therapist is kind of like, you know that like that's not the way you have to mm-hmm. live right and i'm like oh this is the way it is like and it it, it took going to therapy to, re- to to be able to like give myself permission to care about myself because a lot of my life i was taught um take care of everyone else you'll be i'll be okay i got what i need i'll be okay but take care of everyone else's needs and don't worry about yours that's kind of the same along the same lines of the whole problem solving uh, mentality. Um, and it took going to counseling to realize, oh crap, like a lot of the things that I did dealt with as a child that I just thought were normal had a lasting impact on me that I needed to unpack. So for, for, if nothing else, I learned how to unpack experiences that I've had throughout my life and I learned how to be introspective because up to that time I never really went deep on myself I was just you know I'm making it I'm, I'm hitting all my goals I'm, I'm killing the game I'm on Wall Street I'm doing this I'm making all this money I'm good not realizing the emotional side of it that I just wasn't in touch with um, and it was never cool to be in touch with that so like unless someone was telling me to go do it I wasn't just going to do it I, a lot right. of it was ignorance for me um, right you know, so, so yeah. And then, you know, I'll take from seeing a therapist personally. And then obviously we went, we went and we did premarital um, counseling and, and like having someone else's perspective to give you just that sounding board to what you might be thinking or dealing with, whether it's individually or as a, or with a, with a, with a significant other, man, I tell you, I, I recognize the power in it and I'll always be open to it because it's, it's changed my life. I mean, it, it taught me to, to give a, to, to give a That's damn dope, about man. myself. That's you know, dope, so, man. Yeah. Um, I echo everything. Not bad, Gary. Oh yeah. I was gonna say, I echo everything uh, Jeff just said. I mean, I feel like therapy has been a part of my life, my, my whole life. I mean, my, my father is a psychologist. He has a PhD in psychology. So I feel like he's always, you know, in conversation counseling in some way but my very first experience with a counselor was actually in the fourth grade I had started a 
a magnet program, you know, in elementary school. And so I went to a, a different school through this magnet program and my parents could tell that, you know, something wrong was going on. My, my motivation and my, you know, excitement about school had, had really fallen off. And so they sent me to counseling and I would see the counselor, um, a couple times a week. Um, it was play therapy at that time. So she'd have me drawing things and writing things down. And so, uh, even at that age, I, I appreciated or understood that, uh, it was important to be aware of how you're feeling and that you may not be aware of how you're feeling without help. And I found that to be true, you know, even as an adult, um, not just helping to identify how I feel about things, but also what I want to do about it. Like Jeff said, having that sounding board is crucial because, you know, your emotions can take over if you're dealing with, you know, certain situations. And you kind of need somebody from the outside who doesn't have any skin in the game to give you some some perspective and some insight onto what's going on. So you can as someone to kind of check how you're seeing things or confirm how you're seeing things if you're having some self-doubt. So I totally support, you know, any kind of therapy counseling that that people can um, can get. And I wish it was a public service. I feel like it would be awesome if every uh, every household, like they have universal health care. I feel like universal mental health care would be fantastic. Not only should it be a public service, it should be in um, public school curriculum, mm. is my opinion. I feel like the language that you pick up in therapy and the skills and the emotional intelligence that you pick up, um, you shouldn't wait to wait until something traumatic happens. Right for you to be able to understand how to process and deal with stuff. So, man, I grab, I mean, I, I almost get frustrated sometimes, you know, thinking about, you know, the, the quality of life that I could have had, you know, and I don't like to, I hate to do regrets because as a therapist, you know, you just don't do that. But uh, I, as just being honest and vulnerable here, I, I sometimes think about the quality of life that I lost, uh, spending years basically traumatized by certain, you know, things in my life because I didn't have the, 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 the emotional intelligence or the language to deal with the things that I was feeling. Um, but go ahead, Ev. Um, I've actually never, I've had marriage counseling, but I've never had personal counseling or personal therapy. And it's not because I didn't want to. Um, I think, you know, there's combinations of, of various things of reasons why. Um, and it's actually something that I've been wanting, I, think I would say for the last couple of years now, um, but I've never had it. And it's funny because of the, the, what made me think about it more realistically and more for my personal development, I was home, I was back in Philly and I was talking to my older sister. She's four years, four years older than me. And uh, we grew up in two, like I have, I'm one of four. So it was me and her. And then it was the second set. They were like, you know, the younger ones. Um, but I was talking to my older sister and she was said something. I was like, oh, you're doing therapy. That's cool. She was like, she looked at me. She was like, you not? <laughs> and I was like, nah, because she knows how, you know, she, we grew up together. So she knows a lot of things that happen in the household or some of the things that we struggle with. 
um, just growing. Uh, I mean, to your question earlier, uh, talking about vulnerability, I grew up in a household where no one, no one said, I love you. You know, that wasn't a thing that people just, no one really said that. So our, our um, development happened in a very kind of different type of way. Um, and it's not that I have any regrets about it. That's just, it is what it is. Um, but where I'm at today, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely um, actively right now searching for a therapist because, you know, you get to a point and it's also to that thing about, you know, having so many things on your mind that you need to kind of like, I need to kind of work these things out and, and, and I need somebody else perspective that's not my own. I don't need to, you know, there's a, there's a, a verse in the Bible that says, lean not onto thine own understanding. I don't want to be the one that's saying, okay, this is right or this is wrong because who am I to like, who am I to make that, make that judgment call? Sometimes you're not the person that can make that judgment call. You need someone else to look at it from a different perspective. And that's one of the things that I admire with, uh, with our, our marriage counseling. You know, I might be hot on one thing. My wife will be hot on another thing. And then we'll sit in front of the counselor and they'll give a perspective that neither one of us thought about. And just that alone to me is so powerful. So to have that on a personal side for like what, what I go through on a personal level is, is I think is, is definitely very valuable, but I just have not had that experience as of yet. Yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, I understand that completely brother. You know, like I said, you know, I, had some traumatic things occur in my life and I just, you know, it had been nice to, without regrets, to just have somebody come in and, and give me perspective from the outside looking in, you know. You know. Um, what I, I want to ask y'all, you know, thinking back on the way that you have developed, um, you know, and like I said, I don't, I don't like to regret anything, but I just wonder what's something you wish you would have known earlier in your journey through manhood. Is there something you wish we'd have known earlier that, uh, you know, that you think about from time to time? Mm-hmm. Ooh. That's, man, that's a tough, that's a, there's a lot. <laughs> um, you got anything introspective Gareth over there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh... Take take care of myself first. Like, seriously, like what they say to you on the airplane. Oh, yeah. Take care of yourself first. Like, it took me to be an adult, an older adult, to really absorb and understand what that means. Um, You know, it's like... I'll be honest, even marriage didn't necessarily show me that as much as parent parenthood and you know, the direct correlation to the type of day I have impacting the way that I communicate and I show up for my kids. Um I wish, yeah, that I would have been I would have went become an adult knowing, hey, make sure you got you're working on yourself and getting yourself right first because you can't really show up for others if you don't show up for yourself. Man, your your wife said something yeah. like that. In the last episode, I have made that a clip because I had never actually heard anybody say uh, say that in that order. You know, me first, you know, then my husband, then the kids like that was. And I'm like, wow, I mean, that really blew me away. So it's like, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, 
I put that on my list of things that I wish I would have told myself as well, man. Take care of yourself. Uh, were you about to say something, Gareth? Yeah. Um, so I would say, I would say the sex talk. So my dad and I had the sex, had this, had the sex talk when I was, I think, I want to say I was in either middle school or early high school, but, uh, it was very short. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, I love my dad. He, you know, he, he's just like, just like me, he's doing the best he can. I, and I'm doing the best I can, but, uh, I really feel like that talk needed to be years long. Not, not a not a minute, but yeah. a couple of years, and that's that's something that I intend to do with my kids. Like something that we're going to talk about a lot. I intend on my intention is to t- have that conversation a lot, and not just one time, because I feel like it's such a um such a big part of our humanity. You know our our. Our sexuality is such a big part of our humanity, uh, and it's, it it uh, a lot of things a lot of things can happen that uh, you wish didn't happen. So I'll, I'll I'll leave it there. But definitely, I wish I knew more about uh, about all of that. Accurate. See, I didn't grow up with the father, so I, I I got that information from my friends, and what I gathered from it was is hit everything moving. And be as sexual, be as uh, selfish as possible. So, and that is not a good mode or method when you're thinking about, you know. I mean, it was just all wrong. Everything I thought I understood about uh, sex and sexual activity, and and it was just I just learned everything the complete wrong way. Um, but whatever you got, um, I think one thing that I feedback on that that I learned now but i wish i knew then is this idea around um emergency like something happens and you have to quickly respond or you have to you know dig in like this idea of time and taking your time to assess before you make any moves um a lot of times when i was growing up i felt like well if i don't act right now right right now then it's going to fall apart in five seconds and that's not true. Um, actually, you'll make better decisions if you take your time and kind of really think through it. Um, yeah. So I, I, that's that's one thing that I wish I'd have known back then. Because what happens is when you respond, you 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 put yourself in a, in this mode of um, it's easy to fall into desperation. And when you are desperate, you start mm-hmm. making decisions that don't align with you. Terrible. At all. Um, so Terrible. yeah, that's yeah. one thing I definitely wish I'd have known. I, I known, I knew back then. Yeah, man. I take all three of y'all answers, man. That, <laughs> y'all, brother, y'all brothers hit, y'all brothers hit it on the head, man. That's quality of life. What y'all are talking about right there, man. I'm, man I, that's quality of life. You guys are, you know, you're out in the world. And, you you know, you present how you present. And I know for me, having been, you know, a a public school teacher and and a coach, 
um, you know, in in in, in, an op, in in a environment that's not predominantly black, I want to know: Do you guys feel any pressure ever to debunk stereotypes of black men in your everyday lives? Like, do you feel that as your walk? I felt it. You know, I felt like I had to present mm-hmm. a certain way um, yep. in a lot of different rooms. Yeah. So that everybody wouldn't assume, you know, the stereotypes. Absolutely. But I wonder how y'all feel about it's that. It's a survival. It's a survival Absolutely. instinct that we learn from very young. I think it's just uh, by hook or by crook, mm-hmm. somewhere somehow you learn how to how to navigate that. And I think the challenge, at least for me, is unlearning that and not giving a dog on about that. You know, um, and I feel like I I grab a little a little a little bit more each day, but um, but absolutely I feel that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's one of those failures. And I was talking. I didn't I didn't embrace the fact that you know you know what, I am black, I am professional, I am hood, you know. I, you know, and I, these these things are all a part of the makings of me, and they don't lessen me in any way. To you know, the fact that mm-hmm. you know I listen to certain music doesn't lessen me as a professional or as you know a credible credible man. So yeah, I, I get not giving a not giving a damn about it, Gareth. Is that was a struggle, man? But I had to get there. Uh, what y'all brothers chipping on? If I could say one more quick thing about that too is uh I think for yeah, me the the debunking was more so just to was more so surviving in a space rather than um attaching my identity to to, to the debunking if that makes sense so I, I wasn't trying to I wasn't trying to prove myself to them by debunking the stereotype I was trying to diminish any barriers that they may have had to seeing my humanity by debunking the stereotypes. So I'm, I'm going to show up on time so that you don't presume I'm going to be late to stuff so that you can actually see what I bring to the table as an example. Or, or that all black men are late to stuff. So like, I felt the pressure of, like you feel the pressure of representing for your entire that's true race and culture that's true too yeah you know? that's true too yeah uh, let me show up on time so you'll know that all <laughs> black men don't shit you know I, for me i had to dry dressed like when i went to to work as a teacher i dressed intentionally to show not only mm-hmm. uh my white colleagues but also the young brothers that were coming into my class like you know i felt the pressure of showing them you know it was but it was all you know, that was, it wasn't rooted in the right things, you know, like, yeah, I wear, I wear suits a lot, but also, you know what I'm saying? I wear hoodies and jeans and Tim's, you know, it's, it's a do it's, it's a duality almost. I've, I've had an interesting relationship with this, like my adult life. So coming out of Howard, going to wall street, you kind of, I kind of showed up like, 
you know, my, my attitude was I'm the shit when I walked in, but that's because I walked in making sure I was going to be the first one to show up and the last one to leave, taking the, all that advice I'd been given. It was knowing that my work had to be better than everybody else's, you know, and it's, and I grinded myself and grinded and grinded. And I was, I was actually talking to my wife about this just the other night and saying, you know, there's this pressure I put on myself The no one at the company does it. No one has ever said anything to me foul. No one's ever treated me any type of way, but I just have this mindset of, well, Jeff's got the track record of when he shows up, his work is tight. It's right. He's going to get it done. He doesn't miss deadlines. Now I kind of have the, it's a pride, but also similar to what Gareth is saying, like almost a, a survival mechanism of, I don't want to be exposed now. Like I'm like, I got to show up now because I can't be, because I know if the black dude drops the ball, oh, he dropped that drop in the ball so much bigger than everyone else when they did the same thing. I don't have the, the ability to do that. And for, for better or worse, one of my mentors, when I first started out on Wall Street, you know, you, you start out, you've got this 10 week training program. So, and you're taking tests, like you're taking finance exams, all these different tests. So the, the, this mentor of mine, oh, he was probably in mid forties at the time. I'm 22, 23. He had spent 25 years working, trading, trading stocks at Merrill Lynch. And he pulled me aside at this cocktail hour and he goes, Jeff, what are you drinking? And I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's whatever drink. It was, it was liquor. And he goes, yeah. He said, make sure the next one you pour it out. Don't drink it. And he said, mm. you don't get to get drunk like everyone else gets to get drunk. You don't get to show up on Friday morning smelling like liquor late. Don't, don't care about the fact that all the dudes who came in from London and all these dudes from Penn and Harvard and all these schools do that. You don't get to do that. And then the biggest one, he goes, when you take your series seven exam, he says, you get the company gives you three times to pass it. He says, Jeff, you have one time. He said, don't give them a reason. So I walked onto Wall Street from the old heads kind of telling me, hey, you're not like everybody else. You don't have the ability to 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 fail. You, you don't have the luxury of failing, which I look back on it now. I'm like the luxury of learning really is really what it is because failure is learning to me. Um, so I spent, you know, I've been on, I've been working on, on in a wall street career for 17 years. And for 17 years, I have held myself to a standard that often stresses me out because I don't leave room for anything but perfection. And it's, you know, it's, if, if I got to talk about why does work stress you out? Why does, why does, why does, Wallace buys Wall Street stressful is because I've always felt like I have to be better than everybody else in the building in order to be average, in order to be viewed as average. Um, bring that full circle to today, man, I don't, I've lost it all. I don't, I just don't care anymore. And I think it's me finding my own self-confidence and realizing, hey, I, I actually am better than a lot of these folks without trying very hard. So now I show up. You know, you got to beg me to wear a shirt and tie. You got to beg me to, you know, even if I, when I would go up to the office during the pandemic, we'd go up and meet up for different things. Go up. I'm wearing Jordans. I'm wearing jeans and a T-shirt. Like I'm not I'm yeah. not putting on the clothes y'all are putting on just because I'm supposed to do it. But it took it took me the way I view it, paying my dues and earning the ability to start breaking all those informal rules because I've 
no one can question my work. Like, I, I beg you to try. It's the way I, it's my attitude with it. So that freed me up to start being more free in the way I conduct myself fully. Um, so when a young brother comes behind you drinking, but, you know, and wearing suit and ties and all of that, but he's, that's not who he really is. How do you, are you telling him? You know, I gave, I did a lot of recruiting and a lot of mentoring early on in Wall Street. I still do it to this day. The advice I give is, I always say, you got to live your truth. You got to show up as your authentic self, but at the same time, don't give them a reason. So don't do stupid shit. Like, don't show up with a hat. Don't show up at 10 a.m. when you're supposed to be there at 8 smelling like liquor. There's no reason for you to do that. Like, don't. Conduct yourself better. But don't change the way you talk. Don't don't hide the fact that you support black the rights of black folks. When they ask, you know, does anyone want to speak up about how they feel about George Floyd and all this stuff? Don't be the quiet one in the room. Open your mouth and speak up about how you feel. Be an advocate for your race. I, I, those are, that's the advice I give because later in my career, I realized people were open to it. People, because they respected me for who I was, they were open to it. But I was always afraid to do it because I didn't want to rock the boat. And that's, there's so many things to unpack with that statement because it's childhood, it's things I've been taught, it's my culture. But at the end of the day, I learned, I got to show up as myself if I'm going to make it. And showing up as myself means I'm talking the way I talk. I'm dressing the way I dress. I'm eating what I eat. I mean, I, I would have people <laughs> in the office eating Jamaican food, coming with me to get jerk chicken, you know? So, you know, I, I learned to just not be shy about who I was, but it took a lot. So yeah, the advice I've given, I was mentoring a, a kid over the last couple of years. I just kept saying, look, they're going to tell you not to do this and not to do that. I'm telling you, show up as yourself, yeah. but mm -hmm. don't get the easy what stuff. What you have? Um, there was a time when I used to, uh, put the mask on, um, because not necessarily, not just for myself, but for the person behind me. So when they see the next brother, they'll give him, they'll, they'll give him a different, they'll hopefully come with a different perspective, um, when coming in contact with them. Um, and then, uh, as time went on, you know, I've had different jobs when I made some really great money. Um, and as time went on, I started to question this whole mass wearing thing and what that was rooted in and what that was about and, um, mm -hmm. realized that there's some, you know, there's some internalized racial oppression that's connected to that. And, um, I think for me, one of the things that helped me kind of like separate from it and it's still i think it's always a work in progress because we're in a society whereas you're constantly being shown or told in some kind of way that you're something other than who you are um that's what society does that's not what community does um mm -hmm. but as i started to you know venture you know create my own business and, and make my own money then i i felt a certain level of freedom there and um this thing around the mass, it really like, it, it was for me, it was a real head trip because I worked in a, I worked in an environment whereas same with you, I would, I would go suited every day. I'll make great money, but I was the only black male in the whole, in the whole entire school. And this, we got two different buildings. I was the only black American male. And uh, so I figured I had to, I had to kind of be a certain kind of way. So 
when not just for myself, but just to change the perception of of, of that white folk had of, of of black people, of black males in particular. And um, as time going on went on, and as I, I removed myself from that situation, I realized that it's not necessarily up. It's not necessarily my my duty to change. They they have to do the work. It's actually the work is supposed to be done on their end, because if you're walking around with that type of mentality, what I'm doing may or may not change the way you think it, it, you know, but I'm not being myself. And there's one thing that I feel when it comes to culture, our culture is, is something that's sacred. And if you're not able to live in your cultural in your culture and your, in yourself, then it's always going to affect the mind. And if it affects the mind, it's going to affect the body. So for me, it's, it's, um, it's a thing. It's, a con- it's still a, not, not that it's a constant wrestle, but it's something that I really do really like still look at and wonder like at some point, either they're going to get it or they're not going to get it. Is it up to me? Again, this goes back to problem solving. Is it up to me to fix the way that they think? And if, it, if I am trying to fix the way that they think, what am I sacrificing in that exchange? And sometimes, and, and I'm mm. at a point now in my life, in, my, in, you know, in the age that I'm at, that I'm like, nah, it's, it's not, that's not my work. That's not my duty. You, you, yeah, y'all need to fix it on your own. And if you can't, then that just shows a lack of, a lack of growth for however you decide to move in this world. And I'm gonna let you have that lack of growth and I'm just gonna keep moving and doing what I'm doing because one thing that I appreciate is that I I can talk how I wanna talk. I can move how I wanna move. I can look how I choose to look that day. Every day is different. Um, and if you choose me, there's a there's a quote on, um, it's on uh, Bumpy Knuckles album. And it's, a, it's actually, it's a Farrakhan quote. And he says, I am not the man that I was yesterday. I, I am not who I was yesterday, and I, I am not today who I shall be tomorrow. So you do yourself an, injust, an injustice to judge me by yesterday when I have moved on. And they got it's, it's for them to get that. It's for them to to have that understanding. And I think that you know, for me, it just it's more of a of a letting go. And I think some of this is age too. I think you hit a certain age, you just like I don't get, I don't care no more. Like you know what, I it don't even matter. However y'all want to view me is how you gonna view me, regardless of what I say to you, regardless of what I do you can you can still walk away with your same perception but i need to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say hey i that's that's who i am i'm still going i'm still going to uh, you know attempt and strive to be my truest self at all times it doesn't mean that you you know it doesn't mean that certain rooms don't require a certain kind of thing you know not saying that because mm-hmm. we still live in society so that's you know yeah. there's still the actual fact with that so you still got to kind of like hmm. You still got to be mindful of how you move, but um, I guess I'm speaking more to like putting on the mask. Like I, I don't want to. I'm not trying to wear no mask anymore for anybody. Um, but it, but it was a long, yeah, hard no, I road. Get it, I get it. Definitely a long, hard road. No, I get 100 percent what you're saying, man. I um, gets a quick story. I before I was a teacher, you know, before I was a therapist, I was actually an accountant, you know, so. I went that corporate route too, you know, uh, just like, you know, just like Jeff did. I actually was in uh, interning for one of the big four accounting firms. So, 
you know, when you do your internships, you go from different assignment to different assignment. You're traveling all over the country. You got a different supervisor every single time, you know, and then at the end of the internship, you know, they call you in one by one and you sign your offer letter and you're, you're part of the team. And almost literally no one leaves out of there without their offer, you know, but also I'm the only black intern. Okay. The only one. And, uh, I didn't get an offer as a matter. And I, and I, they, so, you know, they, they brought these two white ladies in they sat me down and they both looked terrified to tell me that, uh, that I wasn't gonna get an offer. And then immediately I go sit in with the head guy, the president of the, you know, Minnesota branch. And he says, yeah, we had a meeting. All the supervisor had a meeting and they just said, they just didn't know how to approach you with the way you were acting on certain assignments, you know? And, and they, I was like, why didn't they know it? Well, they didn't know how to approach you basically because you were black. He told me this to my face and I was like, okay, well, you know, that's not going to fly. He was like, don't worry about it. You know, go home. We'll talk, you know, I'll call you later and we'll talk about it, you know, and figure out something. And, um, I never heard from that man again. I never heard from that man again. And that altered everything the way, I mean, cause all I was doing on these, like you hang out with these people after you do the all day long of auditing some company. And then you are in a, in a small town uh, with these people and you hang out with them on a personal level. So it wasn't anything that I was doing in on professional time or even anything that I was doing so crazy in, on, in the personal time, but I was just being a, you know, 20 something black man and it made them uncomfortable and they didn't know how to approach it. So I lost, you know, I lost that opportunity and it altered my life forever. So then what does that do, man? That makes you afraid to show up authentic in a lot of different spaces, you know? And um, I'm glad to hear you brother say the things you're saying. Um, Cause that's one of the things that I wish earlier, a lot of special, a lot of stuff that, you know, Ev was saying about, you know, taking the mask off and then how Jeff was saying, coming to the office and, you know, you are who you are, but you're still in society. But I don't know, man. I, I, I kind of feel like um, we go into the spaces that ex- accept us. I don't know if at this point in my life, I'm like willing to just, you know, go fight, you know, I don't know if I want to sit at the counter, at the counter right now, you know, or uh, the sit-ins, what were they called when they was, <laughs> right, right. yeah, yeah, I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want whites only pie or something, <laughs> as Martin would say, you know, Martin on life, I don't know if I want whites only pie. You know, I, um, I want to ask y'all yeah. a couple more things and I'm going to start wrapping it up, but, uh, given that y'all are, you know, all experts in life. I'm just going to play. We all are fathers, right? Um, with the exception of Gareth, we all, I mean, I only, we all have sons only. Gareth got a few girls. So I do, I'm interested in Gareth and, and, and your differences in answering this question. Um, but, you know, when, when when Jeff and Jennifer were in Dallas, we were talking about 
what it is to have the conversation about discrimination and uh, what racism looks like and presenting that to your child, you know, which is traumatizing. I know it's traumatizing for mine versus, you know, not telling them or, you know, I don't know, um, you know, hiding reality as, as, you know, it's pretty much what it is or, you know, letting them run into it for themselves when you're making that decision. Like, do I traumatize my young child or do I start preparing them for what's, you know, the inevitable? Yeah. The, the inevitable. It's, it's good. It's, it's there. It's going to happen. Um, so yeah, let me, let me hear what your thoughts are on yeah. that. My, my initial thoughts are that my hope is that I will give all of my children enough of a sense of self and pride in who they are so that the racism that exists in society is not internalized. So the shame, okay. the shame is on America, not them. Now that's a tall task because I think we all internalize, you know, white supremacy in some shape or fashion. But I think to the degree to which I can minimize that internalization process through giving them a strong sense of self, as well as, uh, giving them, um, giving them a, uh, I guess a conscious view of history. Like I just started talking about American history with my oldest. I haven't really touched a whole lot of American history with my younger ones. We, we start with, uh, ancient African history, but like <clears throat> talking about American history and all the issues with it, my son is like, man, America is just, America is a messed up place. And and I think it's better, in my opinion, for them to come out thinking America's got problems than I've got problems. So that's my hope. Right. I might be idealistic, but that's my hope. Well, they call this the talk, you know what I mean? When you know when, when a black father has to have this conversation with the children. I'm curious, you know, it sounds like what you're saying what you're saying, Gareth, is you you do inform but you also uh, take precautions so they don't internalize. But I'm, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about what to talk, I'm wondering, do you, are you prepared or do you feel like it's, it's going to be necessary for you to have a different conversation with your son than you're going to have to have with your daughters? Mm. I think, I think each, each group has different dynamics to, to navigate. Cause I think, uh, I think black males have a particular way of navigating white supremacy and black females have a certain way of navigating it. I think they all have their, their unique challenges, you know, I think with, uh, with black women, obviously, uh, my wife would be more equipped to have that conversation, but I think about, you know, over-sexualization and issues with hair and what does it mean to be beautiful? and things like that. Whereas with the black male, it's being perceived as dangerous and um, less moral and less trustworthy and less intelligent. Um, now black fem black women have to deal with that too. Females have to deal with that too, but, um, and males have to deal with being sexualized in, in a way too. I just don't think in the same way as females. 
but uh, I think they're different. I think each each are different. Yes, I would say so. I'll say you, brother Jeff. Yeah, I, yeah, it's heavy. It's a lot. Um, we have been very intentional and what's the word? Um, clear about what it means to be a black man in this world. Um, you know, now my, my 11 year old is a more of a, he's, he's, he absorbs everything around him. He reads everything. He, he's, he's very curious about knowledge and he's of the age and maturity we thought was okay for just kind of being real. Um, I would say, go back to about 2020, made the decision, you know what, with George Floyd and the way it's kind of playing out right now, let's have this conversation now. Because, you know, I, I don't feel a lot of anxiety personally, unless there's a police car behind me, then I do feel real anxiety. Um, but I found it necessary to have the real graphic, no holds barred conversation. Um, and it's while I feel like he is better equipped and he knows kind of what might come down the road, if I could go back, I would hold off on a few things for a little bit longer because he's still under my control. He's still, he don't go anywhere without us. If he does, he's with someone that I don't really question in terms of protecting him. But, you know, the incident that really led to me realizing the conversation had to be had was um, there was where we, the community we lived in, in Dallas, it was a bunch of custom homes. There was a bunch of empty lots. Um, and he got to the age where he asked, Hey, can I start riding my bike without supervision? We're like, yeah, sure. Go around the block, got him a cell phone, call if you have issues. I can track him wherever he is. Um, so he comes home one day, super excited. He's went around the block. He goes, dad, I, I I'm excited. I found this like lizard that was dying and I brought it home to try and save it. But also, I'm really mad because I couldn't get on the tractor. I'm like, what, what tractor are you talking about? And he says, oh, there's a tractor in that lot over there where they're building that house. And I was trying to go check it out. So I walked over there, but it was too muddy and I couldn't get my bike through the mud to go check it out. So every red flag. This was mm. probably two weeks after George Floyd. So the red flag went on because all I'm seeing is the, the guy in, I forget the names because it's so many straight up, but Amara, um, said Amara. the guy in South Carolina who was running and got mm -hmm. chased and, and, mm. and right. uh, Ahmaud Arbery. There you go. I keep thinking Alton Sterling, but Ahmaud Arbery. So I pulled him into the garage. And I said, Hey man, I said, I know you had a good time out there. I said, but you cannot go into an empty lot to try and get on a tractor. You can't go check it out. I said, if you're curious, ride your bike home, come get me or your mom, or we'll go back with you. I said, but you can't do that alone. And I'm like shaking inside because I'm saying, man, like we live in a good neighborhood. It's mostly us, but there are people in the neighborhood who would look at him and say, what's that kid doing over there? And rather than coming to him and saying, hey, you shouldn't be here. Let me take you to your parents or whatever, or go to your parents. They would just call the police. And I know that. And that's my biggest fear. So. We've had the conversation. We've said the things such as you don't get to have an attitude with police. You don't get to dress a certain way or to go certain places or to do certain things. You can't. I was like, you know, and we were pretty real about it. And he absorbed it well. 
but fast forward like nine nine to twelve months, um, that, that's not going to stop. Nine, fast forward nine to twelve months, mm-hmm. the emotional toll it took on him, the fears that it put in him. To, he's afraid. He, would, you know, some of his fears were, "Dad, I'm afraid for you to leave the house yeah. because I'm worried that you're going to get in an argument or someone's going to shoot." So, you know, I'm crying about that, and I had to say, "Look, buddy, um, you know." Not all white people are bad. There's bad apples. Not all people are bad. There's bad apples. And it took me literally walking this neighborhood we live in here. Every time we passed a house where I saw some white folks outside, I went out of my way to speak to them, to show him that, see, we can get along. We can, it can work. Because I'm realizing in his little mind, it's like, it's all or nothing. It's either they're all bad or they're all good. So I realized I had to do a little more work there. And I'm saying I. Jennifer and I did this together for the most part, but there are things that we'd be riding in the car and I'll just say, Hey, as a black man, these are things you got to worry about. And I always reinforce it because at the end of the day, like my dad didn't do that for me, but society did it for me because I was kind of tuned in to what I'm, I'm someone from a young age who, who gave a damn about Malcolm X. So like I was always tied into understanding these things and I don't want him to deal with any of it. So the fact, you know, I don't want him to stand down to the police. I don't want him to be illegally searched. But at the same time, there's a certain way you need to exo- exhibit your right. Certain way you need to profess your rights to the those in power to not be perceived as a threat. I don't ever want him to make himself smaller as a man. But there's a way and in, in, in ever this kind of like some of the mask wearing. There's a way that I've got to speak to a certain individual if there's a racial conflict situation happening in order to keep it as a civil conversation. Cause for me, it can escalate pretty quick. Um, you know, so it's, it's tricky. It's very difficult. It makes me angry to have to do it. Yeah, I feel you, brother. I, I feel the exact same way. It is very tricky. Uh, and if you don't send them out there with some sort of precaution, it could be fatal. You know, you have to, it's sad thing to sad reality that you have to worry about that raisins, you know, these children out here, but if you don't let them know how to move in certain situations, yeah, it might scare them to death, but if they don't know how to move, it could be fatal. What you think about it, Ev? Um, I have a little one. Uh, so the conversations, well, I'll just say, this is how the process has been going. Um, for one, we talked to him about how society views black views black people in general and a lot of that comes through like tv so you know we'll do things like ask him questions about what he's watching and and well what's going on with the with the, the one if he's watching something that has no brown people and it's like okay well where the brown people at so we try to do things to kind of get his get his mind thinking around the whys and the why not type of thing or if he's watching something where it's like there's one black character and the black character is the dumb one, it's like I'll bring it to attention. Like, oh, Kosi, do you see that? Like, why is it? Why is it? Why the black one, the the one that just has to be silly and you know lesser than in some kind of way? So you know, it gets his mind thinking around that. On the other side, as far as interaction in society, unfortunately, he saw some things to me too early. Um, we live mm. in Pasadena, which is a beautiful area. We live on a beautiful block, but we had an actual a police shooting on our street. We wasn't home when it happened, 
But we had a police shooting on our street where this cop shot this young brother in the back and killed him. Um, and what Kosi saw was when we got home and the rest of the, the neighborhood, you know, um, the neighborhood response, his friends and family response, according and also the residents' response. So he's seen dad out there screaming on police because we were all enraged. There was no reason that this had to end this way, but we also had to explain to him what was happening, what was going on. And, you know, it was it, it was a really a, a tough situation for, at that point, I think Kosi might've been five. So for a five-year-old to to try to wrap their mind, their mind around. So then what happened after that, he had this anxiety around the police. Well, my younger brother's a cop. So I had to kind of balance that off with, okay, let's, let's call uncle Ryan. Let's get him on the phone. Uncle Ryan's in full, he's in, he's working, he's in full suit the whole night. And we had to have a different kind of conversation and it's still, you know, we're still navigating, we're still navigating because it's an ongoing thing. And like I said, he's six and so he's growing older and understanding society, but it's, it's hard and it's difficult. But for, I feel like, not that I got to be super honest with him because I don't want to give him too much more than what he can handle at one time. And, and also I don't want it. I don't want him. I wouldn't, I would like it if he doesn't walk away with trauma around this. Yeah. That's my biggest thing. I don't want him to walk around with trauma. That's just, I want you to be as free as you possibly can, but understand the society that we live in, understand what's actually happening. And it's, it's still coming with time but right now what we do in this moment is really like make him look at the things that were detrimental at least to me tv was detrimental because you know i walked up i i grew with a certain sense of my blackness because tv told me i was i was this this and that everything that i wasn't so i wanted to destroy what happens in his mind first in order to do that, I have to strengthen his mind to actually be able to see it and be like, okay, that's not right. Nah, nah. So now he'll go like, oh, I was going to watch this dad, but there ain't no brown people. So I'm like, okay, cool. What you want to, what you want to watch? Um, but as he gets older, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fear. I do have fear and anxiety around it. Sending him out by himself. Like we're not at the point where Colson go anywhere by himself. Uh, but sending him out by himself and, and making sure he's prepared is hard. It's a hard thing to think about. It's a hard thing to 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 face the reality of. And then you got to make sure that he has it all when he leaves. So I'm still learning. I, I'm actually learning from brothers like yourself who have sons that are older than mine. Oh, that's what y'all did? Okay, let me try to do that. Okay, how old is, is Jackson? Okay, cool, cool. All right, all right, cool. How old is Donald? Okay, cool. Um, so it's, it's I think this is one of those situations, too, where we... At least myself, I learned from the brothers who have who have sons that are older. It's it's definitely a learning and a growing as I go along. Yeah, bro. You, you know something I struggle with in this whole conversation. I echo um, that, sir. Sir. So, sir. So, given my 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 faith background, I take uh, I take the words of Jesus seriously. So. Um, there's something that he said that in effect it says if if you if you try to hold on to your life you lose it but if you if you're willing to lose your life you actually find it 
And I kind of wrestled with that in the context of being a black black man in America and how I consider the task of raising a black son and two black daughters. So, you know, when I think about losing my life uh, or, or, or trying to hold on to my life, for me, that, that means survival, doing what I got to do to survive, wearing the mask, being conscious of the stereotypes, uh, being something other than who I am for the purpose of, you know, making it to the next day. But as we all know, the act of survival will actually eat you alive. Wearing that mask will eat you alive. You know, we've all felt it. You know, at, at yeah. some point, you get tired of not being real. And of course, being real doesn't mean not being professional. I'm, I'm just talking about not being who you are. Saying what you think, doing what you believe, living your you know authentic self and so i think about my children you know as a parent you want your children to survive right just like our parents wanted us to survive that's why they had the talk with us because they wanted us to survive but what i'm wrestling with is am i teaching my child how to survive and in doing so am i in some way preventing them from living mm like surviving choice. yeah surviving and being alive are two different things and so you know and i wrestle with that you know am i going to say look son look daughter you got to be who you are no matter what the consequences and am i willing yeah. to live with that mm. if something were to happen you know and so I, I wrestle with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we look at somebody like a Malcolm, right? And we we love Malcolm because he was free, right? He lived. He also paid a price. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know what y'all think about that, but mm-hmm. but I wrestle with that. That's it's been on my mind since. No, that, that that's that's gonna be. You know, I've actually had a I had an argument at one point with some people, uh, and it was about, you know, the things that I was telling and showing Donovan, and if it was affecting him in a negative way, uh, and I still wrestle with it, um, but. I have to also take into consideration that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, I've seen a lot of different errors, at least more errors than him, and the ones that I haven't seen, I at least studied, and, you know, the the era that we're in now has by far been the most difficult for me to uh, cope in. You know what I mean? Like I. I couldn't even watch TV because I was getting so angry and frustrated. Even to this day, I mean, up until this moment, you know, and they, they, you know, these, the, they raided, let's say they raided Trump's house. Right. And I can't even watch any stories on it just in the way that they're able to spin and, you know what I mean? And make that thing sound however they wanted to sound. So 
I have to consider my son who is growing up, you know, in the, the, the so far in the development of his life, this is who has been the, the leader of the free world, so to speak. And in common sense, he looks and says, these are all, this is wrong. These are all crimes. There's no consequences for these crimes. Why are there consequences for the things that he's doing? So what choice do I have to tell him is that, <laughs> bro, you know, you, <laughs> he's getting away with this because he's a wealthy white man. And, and in this country, old wealthy white men potentially are above the law. And I have to, you know, I don't, I haven't, he asked me these questions. What do I say? You know what I mean? So to, to your point, Garrett, it's like, he's growing up in this era, you know, and, and, and also an era where I don't have to show it to him. You know, it's at his fingertips at all times. Like these things flash across or they come up and we have to have a discussion. Like he comes down and says, dad, you see this? Or even, he'll, it'll, you know, depending on what game he's playing or what app he's on, it'll be some, you know, propaganda or some false narrative stuff that comes down. He's like, Dad, you see this? You know, like he didn't say this specifically, but I'm saying just an example. Trump says that the FBI planted evidence at his house. <laughs> Dang, Dad. Yeah. They they try to they try to railroad this man. And I'm like, man, we gotta have a conversation about a lot of this. You know what I mean? Like, cause I can't just send him out there with that, you know, with a lot of these narratives that he's like, you can't protect your children by not telling them nothing. It's it's impossible, you know. I feel like it's impossible. That's my thoughts on what you just said, Gareth. 